This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. It is 2023. Oh, thank you, Pastor Obvious. Okay. And in 2023, we got a lot going on. Yes, I know there's trouble in the world, and I know there's difficulty in the world. But in 2023, for the most part, those of us who are gathered, we have enough to eat. We have entertainments. We have hobbies. We do things. We have chores. Some of you own businesses. Some of you work in businesses. People come and people go. Technologically, we are a changing culture, moving into a brand new form of digital technology, which is neither good nor bad, depending upon how one uses it. And ironically, as you look at this decade, it seems to be quite parallel to the 1920s, a hundred years ago. We just went through a worldwide pandemic. Well, back in 1918, 1919, they had the Spanish flu that killed millions worldwide. We have come off a war of terrorists and t- against terrorism, and, and they just came from World War I. And West Concord Baptist Church existed even then. And they had plenty to eat. They had entertainments. Technologies were changing. As a matter of fact, they referred to the 1920s as the Roaring Twenties. Migrants and immigrants were coming from all over the world to find a place in this free, prosperous nation. Things were happening. The nation was booming. And then, in the morning, on 19, on the morning in 1929, the bottom fell out. The same year my father was born, in 1929, Along about the same time of the year when suddenly the stock market crashed. And when the stock market crashed, everything that described the good of that country of America then, materially, basically fell flat. And not only in the United States, but it spread throughout the world. There was a worldwide economic depression. As a matter of fact... Historians call it the Great Depression. And it lasted for nearly a decade. This country literally came to its knees materially. And the world as well. My dad was born in 29. He grew up in the mountains of West Virginia. And described his childhood... Basically, if they couldn't shoot it or catch it, they didn't eat it. His school was a one-room schoolhouse. And you might have heard me say before, his teacher of that one, while all the grades were together, he kept a gun on his desk. Kids got out of hand, he just took a couple of shots at the ceiling. How about that for school? Yeah. I said, Dad, wasn't there holes in the ceiling? He said, Son, you can see the sunlight outside. 
For Christmas one year, his, his Christmas present was a pair of his own socks that had gotten holes and his mother darned for him. This is the depression. This is something that even though we've gone through recessions and economic bubbles that burst, and even though we're dealing with inflation now, we have never seen anything like that in most of our lifetimes. Maybe there's one or two of y'all peppered in here that understand that. I remember when I first came to the church and I would go to the senior adult group, the Happy Hearts, and, and at the end of the meeting, I remember them taking a big pickle jar. I remember Evelyn Gibson taking a big pickle jar back to the kitchen. And whatever coffee was left, she would pour it in that cleaned out pickle jar. I said, Miss Evelyn, what are you doing that for? She said, Mikey, Mikey. She said, Mikey, I grew up during the Depression and I still appreciate things. Instead of throwing that leftover coffee away, she took it home and she drank it. I noticed several of our other seniors who'd grown up during that time using plastic bags two or three times. And oh, it was just a difficult time. Again, no matter what we've gone through or going through in our lifetime, we have never experienced anything like that. And in the 1920s, it was difficult. I mean, it was booming and going, but in the 1930s, it became difficult. Well, as we move into Revelation chapter 18, as we wind down this seven-year period of tribulation, we see a little bit more detailed judgment coming upon the world. In chapters 14, 15, and 16, we saw the grand cosmic battle play out. We saw the judging nature of God as a God of justice, judging the world that had turned its back upon Him. His last series of judgments, a series of, of bold judgments, pouring out His wrath, devastate the world. And the last bowl is a battle in which we call Armageddon, where the world will finally come together and fight it out. And one of the catalysts for that battle to happen is that the world system referred to in the Bible as Babylon because Babylon is a reference to the original communal turning against God in Genesis 11 after the flood. When the world decided, no thanks God, we don't need you, we'll do it our way. And decided to build a, a tower reaching into heaven saying, look how great we are. And <laughs> we haven't stopped ever since. And all the Gentile empires that you studied in high school and college, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Persians and the Greeks, and yes, the Romans, great Gentile godless world empires, powerful, materially rich, and yes, oppressive, have come and they've gone. And even though we see these empires come and go, the philosophy still remains. That Babylonian philosophy that says humanity will, doesn't need God, we'll invent our own religions and we'll trust in our material prowess and richness. Last week in chapter 17, we saw this system displayed and portrayed as a vulgar, obscene harlot, drunk with the blood of saints and prophets and martyrs, clothed in purple and scarlet and gaudy jewelries, jewelry, sitting on this red dragon as we saw was Satan himself. And as we move to the close of human history, 
as we see the globe congealing together. I saw not too long ago again a statement coming out of one of the world meetings gathered. Different leaders, different nations, different corporate executives from all over the world and their stated goal is this. And they even put this out in an advertisement with a person grinning, a young person grinning, saying one day you will own nothing and you will be happy. Speaking of what they desire for the globe, they are already beginning to come out with global ID. We talked about something like that in Revelation 13, the mark of this future world despot, the Antichrist. How you cannot buy or sell unless you take his mark. Already in China, the People's Republic of China, you have to, you have to pay exorbitant taxes and they actually have barcodes on your house in some parts of, of communist China. That they come through and read those barcodes determining whether you are for the party line or against it. Also, they charge a social tax in China, which basically says if you do not tow the communist party line and their philosophy, you will begin to pay a tax. We're seeing that in our nation now, not from our government per se, but unless you toe the social line, your business, your job, you can be canceled. This is the type of economy we're entering into. And yet as we move along, we still cling to this Babylonian world system. In chapter 17, we saw the religious Babylonian system come down and crumble. And the second part of this comes as we get into chapter 18. That God will take the economic aspect of this godless system and tear it down. Yes, 100 years ago we went through the Great Depression. But one day God himself is going to bring about the Great Secession. Where he's going to cease all material goods and riches. Peter gives us warning of this in 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord, that's what we're looking about. That's what the rest of the story is, culminatively. The day of the Lord, collectively. But the day of the Lord will come as what? A thief in the night. Surprise! In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. This is not global warming. This is God's wrath. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Let's start with the bottom line today. The bottom line is that everything you see, everything that you own, everything that you touch, and everything that you value, save those souls that know Christ with you, will one day be destroyed. All material things will be destroyed. Everything. Oh, you're a real Donnie Downer today. Truth is truth. Reality is reality. Again, there was a dry run back in the 1920s. That morning when the stock market crashed, executives in their corner offices in New York and in Paris and in London 
Because they lost everything, they leapt to their deaths from their office buildings. Whole companies crumbled. Banks closed. Not only that, but the greatest heat wave this nation ever saw was hit the, hit the planet in, 19, in the late 1930s. The Dust Bowl was caused. People were broke. And it took a world war, a second world war, to get us out of that. The Bible's telling us it's coming again, but the likes of which we've never seen before. Because God is going to take down this world system. That's the last act of the tribulational period, that last act of judgment. We saw in 17 the religious Babylon. Today we're going to look briefly at the economic Babylon. What do we mean by the world system? Well, I like what Chuck Swindoll, preacher and teacher, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, he says this. He, he says the world system is committed to at least four major objectives. If you want to simply describe the godless world system, you can sum it up, he says, in these four words. Fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. Fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. These are the four words that describe the world system. It's been this way since Genesis 11. And wave after wave of imperial presence has only fanned it and kept it burning. And it's alive today. But those four words describe that system. And as we get into Revelation this morning, we're going to see that God is going to bring that system down. Take your Bible and join me in Revelation 1. And Dr. Warren Wearsby put out a great study, and I'm borrowing his outline. I've adapted it, I'm borrowing it. But in Revelation, we hear four voices, four types of voices concerning this final judgment. Four types of voices as we watch economic Babylon crumble. The first is the initial voice of judgment. Revelation 18, beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And earth was illuminated with his glory. In other words, this isn't going to be something that is going to go under the radar. This last judgment is going to be something that is going to be very visible. It's going to be a spectacle. And we see as we look at this, this glorious angel who's going to come. Why is he going to be so glorious? Why does God's glory need to do this? Well, because people need to know this is from God. This is not just some economic mistake. This is not just some, some economic perversion. This is from God. And we see the great pronouncement as it comes. This angel comes down. It says he has authority. He's going to fill the earth with his glory. Verse 2, and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Why does he say it twice? Well, in the ancient Hebrew and Greek, and the New Testament was written in Greek, Revelation was written in Greek, they did not have punctuation as we have it today. Today, if we want to focus on something and, 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 and shout it, we put an exclamation mark. But they didn't have that. So in order to add emphasis to a phrase, they would repeat it. And that's why he's saying, it is fallen, it is done, it's over. 
The world system is coming to an end. That world system, not based upon the worship and adoration of God, but based upon literally materialism. What you want, what you have, what you own, what you prize. And the grand pronouncement is, it is fallen. And he emphasizes it by repeating it. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It's not just one major city, one major country. It's all that money-based, stuff-based economic system that played fast and loose in an adulterous way with the world's godless religions is now beginning to crumble and fall. The glorious angel brings this grand announcement and he goes on to give an indictment. Look what he says as we continue on. He said, and it has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This grand harlot of Babylon, the fornication is adultery and sexual perversion. It says, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So this grand harlot, this grand world system, called a harlot because it causes humanity to be unfaithful to God that created it and turn its back upon him. And the grueling indictment says what it actually is, a home of demons, a cage of evil spirits. And when you think about the materialism in our culture, look what it has done to our culture. Quite frankly, we care more about stuff than oftentimes we care about people. We get so caught up in our stuff, we have to have more stuff. We fill our barns, and as Jesus said, we then want to fill bigger barns and larger barns. One of the most obscene television shows, in my opinion, is not one of those shows that focuses on sexuality or promiscuity, and they're bad, but those shows that deal with hoarders, that pack and jam their houses with so much stuff. Matter of fact, we had one in my very own family. And walking through her house was heartbreaking and gut-wrenching because she could not enjoy life and she didn't want God until the end. We get so caught up with our technology that we're all guilty of walking around with these things. We go to restaurants and we're sitting there with our family and friends and what are we doing? We're staring at these things. We're sitting on the bus. We're sitting in the car. We even have a TV on, but we're still sitting with these things. People talk about the zombie apocalypse. Well, it's here. We get caught up on our money and our, on our stuff. We become, a t even in the church. I appreciate Aaron's testimony this morning. In the Dominican they don't have all the stuff that we have. And God has been good to us. But they are able to worship and have church on a hard dirt floor in the heat. I love it when people say, oh, Brother Mike. They talk like that. Brother Mike, we need to go back to good, the good old days. Well, let me tell you about the good old days in the 1920s. They didn't have air conditioning. 
They didn't have padded seats. They had pews. Yeah. Sound effect. That's cool. They had to sit with funeral fans. You don't want to go back to the good old days. But we become so wrapped up in our stuff. The, grand and the grueling indictment is, it's a sham. It's a mockery. And it, we ought to be ashamed of our materialism, and me included. So the voice of judgment, all that is material, that's coming down. All the economic things that we see. You're worried about inflation? You're worried about uh, a recession? One day, it's all going to be gone. Your 401k, your savings, your house that you're living in. Your cars, this church building is going to be gone. These chairs, the sound system, everything that you want isn't going to be there. God is taking it down. So the voice of judgment, it's coming. What about this next voice, the voice of separation? Look what he says as we continue in verse 4. He says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her wages. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. This world system. God says, listen, my people, you need to come out of this. You need to get out of this system. Get out of this philosophy. Instead of focusing on stuff, we need to focus on people. Instead of getting tied up over money, we need to be tied up in our mission. But he's saying, look, this is coming. And yes, there will be believers even in the latter days of this tribulation period. He's saying, get out of there. You better get out of there. Because the storm is coming. I think of this time we're getting into hurricane season. And some of those who live on the coast, whether it's on the ocean side or the Gulf, they get warned, get out of there, the hurricane is coming. And it's coming fast. God is going to tell the people, his believers, his people, get away from this situation. This is going to crash and you don't want to get any of it on you. And you don't want to go down with it. You say, oh, but pastor, that's yet in the future. Listen, you're God's people today and the economic system is here. The Babylonian world system is in the media, social media, news media, entertainment media. It's in the corporate world. It's everywhere. And yes, there are things that we need to get by. You need a car, you need a house. That's fine. But here's the problem with materialism when it becomes the most important, and that is enough is never enough. Let me ask you this morning, and don't you answer out loud, do you have enough? Do you and I need more? We're all guilty of grabbing and going. Even in the church, we get twisted up about budget time. I appreciate our finance committee. They work hard to present us a reasonable budget. But let me tell you something, church. Even if they gave us a budget of a dollar, the mission and ministry doesn't change. And if we go and do God's work, God will provide. 
I remember when we were getting ready to come and move out here to provide better ministry. Oh, we're going to go under. Oh, we're going to crumble. Listen, if all we had a dollar in the bank and God commanded us to move, we should move. Amen? We have a great budget that's coming. We're going to follow it. We're going to work in it. But don't you let that hold you back. Because the Bible says, through the grace of God, we have riches in heaven. And as we serve him, God's given us a blank check, but we get tightened up in materialism. We have to work that second job to pay for all those things that we bought. I can't preach, I can't teach the children, Pastor, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to work 80 hours a week. Oh, I can't come and lead that Bible study because my boss won't let me off. I've got to work 80 hours a week. Well, I'd come to that meeting, but, you know, I got the pool guy coming over and I can't miss it. Well, we can't be there at church Sunday, Pastor, because we got to go to the lake house. See how materialism shapes our decisions. God says, get out of it. Come out, lest you be stained with it. So the direction for the saints, for you and I, is to get out of it. Get a spiritual mindset instead of a... A material mindset, because here's the thing. Do you want to be part of the losing team? Because everything we see today, these chairs you're sitting in, this building, this roof, the car you drove here in, the house that you're going to go home to, the toys you're going to play with, one day they're all going to be gone. They're going to be gone. It's temporary. You know, those of you who do make financial investments, would you invest in a company that's going to fall and you know it's going to crumble? I hope not. Yet we'll invest in a world, the Babylonian system, which God calls a harlot and he's going to take out. And we get twisted up about that. You say, but pastor, we need money. We need, yes, we need certain things, but most of the time our needs move into our greeds and we get caught up in the world system. He said, you better get out of it because her end is coming. Look at verse six. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and no widow and will not see sorrow. Wow, we're a big economic institution. You've heard this company is too big to fail. Have you heard that? Well, guess what? There is no such thing as a company too big to fail. The only thing about it is when they do fall, it's going to be a big fall. Verse 8, Therefore her plagues will come in one day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Understand this. It's all about perspective. What is most important? What is lasting and what is not? What is temporary and what is eternal? You and I make that choice every day, sometimes every hour. And it means something. It means something. We need to be very careful. God has called us to get out of it. Because this system is falling. The destiny of this grand, bloody harlot is going to fall and fall hard. 
And God doesn't want his people soiled by that. I love this quote by John Piper concerning this. I came across it and I had to share it. Pastor John Piper said, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call them home. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I am calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers use theirs, just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. What war? We're in a spiritual war, guys. We're in a spiritual warfare. I went back to World War I earlier, World War II, which pulled us out. You know what? The full focus of this nation during both of those wars was on the war effort to win over evil. People sacrificed. They sacrificed gas. They sacrificed the necessities of life. Some families, Lord bless them, sacrificed sons and daughters. But evil had to be destroyed and righteousness had to prevail. They planted victory gardens. They, they bought war bonds. They went without so the American soldier, sailor, and airman, and marine could go with and win the battle. Well, we're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual warfare for the hearts and minds of God's people. He said, I got caught up in this materialism and I began to forget the war. He goes on to say, I don't think much about people per I didn't think much about people perishing. I was too caught up in my stuff. Missions and unreached people dropped out of my mind. I stopped dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I seek into a secular mindset that looks first to what a man can do and not what God can do. It is a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. mindset. A wartime mindset. We get so caught up in our luxuries and comforts, yes, even in the church, that we forget that outside these walls, your neighbors, your co-workers, your buddies and fellow students and friends at school, without Christ, they are dying and going to hell. While we go out and focus on what doesn't matter. We get twisted up in these things. Even in the church, we get caught up with stuff instead of souls. We forget that there is a war on. We don't hear the guns. We don't see the blood. It's a spiritual war. But they're coming after your children and your grandchildren. We get all huffed and puffed about things at church that we don't like. And here's the reality of it. While we're getting in our little arguments and discussions, people are dying and going to hell who need us. Imagine during World War II, all the soldiers came home and decided to cut their grass and paint their picket fences while the Nazis overran Europe, killing millions and millions of people. And the voice of judgment, we have the voice of, of, of separation. Get out from that. And then we see the voice of mourning as we continue on. 
says in verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. When they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torrent, torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. These politicians, these kings, these presidents that play fast and loose with the, with the, with the whore of Babylon, the business section, the economic section of the world empire, oh, they will weep when this falls. Because they will fall. Not only the kings, but the merchants. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. For no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, every kind of, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory. These things were important in John's day. Objects of luxury, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat and cattle, sheep and horses, chariots and bodies and the souls of men. The fruit that your soul, look at this, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Not only will the kings and the potentates and the politicians weep and wail because all their political wranglings with the business world and the corporate world will come crashing down. But those merchants will weep and wail because nobody will be able to buy their stuff anymore. In the Depression, it was hard to sell anything because nobody had money. You couldn't go out and buy a car because you couldn't afford one. They weep and wail, saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For when uh, one hour such great riches came to nothing... Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? Oh, this will never happen, pastor. The economies of this world are strong. That's what they said in 1928. Verse 19, they threw out dust on their heads. That was a symbol of mourning in biblical days. You would take off your fine clothes. You would put on burlap and sackcloth. And you would take ashes or dust and pour it on your head as a sign of sadness and mourning and brokenness. Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships and sea became rich by her wealth for one hour, she is made desolate. I don't, I, I don't preach this passage or this chapter or even this book with any glee. But God has set forth what is coming. The pronouncement of judgment. There are going. We saw several chapters of severe judgments, but that last is this grand and glorious world system upon which we place our hopes and dreams. We're entertained by it. We're fed by it. We're nurtured and nourished by it. And through it, we forget God. 
And one day in the future, according to God's word, this isn't my prognosticating. You can take my word or leave it. It's going to be brought down by the hand of God. And there's going to be sorrow and sadness, weeping and wailing. He's going to tell his people, get out now. The storm is coming. Get out now. Hey, here's the thing. We are God's people and we're still at God. Maybe we need to get out now. And begin focusing our love and attention upon the things of God. The voice of mourning, the voice of separation, the voice of judgment. But we end this morning with the voice of rejoicing. Picking up in verse 20. It says, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. The prophets of the Old Testament all the way back to chapter 11 of Genesis who have died for proclaiming God's truth. Prophets who were stoned, prophets who were slaughtered. Jewish Legend tells us Isaiah the prophet was sawn in sunder while he was still alive. These prophets were brutalized and beaten. And then when the church was founded after Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again from the dead, those original apostles died brutal, violent deaths at the hand of Rome and the religious people in the world. Only John, who wrote this book, was saved alive, even though they tried to kill him. And for the last 2,000 years, men, women, and children have died simply because they want to communicate the message of Christ. But the religious world has persecuted them. The political world has persecuted them. The economic world. Now today, our society is persecuting people. And people today still die for Christ. But one day, we'll be able to rejoice because the machinery of persecution, suppression, and godlessness will finally be taken down. Rejoice. He says in verse 21 that a mighty angel came, took up a stone like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. Entertainment's over. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. The sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom shall not be heard in, your, in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all these nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. So there'll be rejoicing among the saints, but sorrow in the world. And I realize you look at, the, you look at human achievement and accomplishment. You look at great businesses and great factories and great innovations you see the riches and the beauty in the world, and you look and you say, well, my goodness, what about after that? Well, this is the thing we fail to realize. That after this world is done, what is coming from God makes that look like a garbage heap. 
the kingdom that God will set up at the second coming of Christ as we move into the latter chapters of Revelation is going to be amazing. I like to talk to young people. I mentioned this in my Sunday school class. When you mention the rapture of the church or the coming of Christ, they say, oh, we don't want that to happen. I like this world. It's fun. I got things I want to do. I got places I want to go. I want to get married, have kids, and get a business. And all those things, there's nothing wrong with those desires. Trust me. Nothing wrong with those desires. And I understand that. That's why I don't give young people a hard time when they say that. I get it. I was young at one time. According to George Thomas, I still am. But here's the thing that we fail to realize. Everything that we find on this planet that intrigues us, delights us, God and his kingdom is going to be so completely different and better that if we really knew, we'd trade it in a Chicago second. But we forget that because we've lost sight of heaven and forever. We're on this planet. We make do. We get by. Yes, there are things we need to have a life. Nothing wrong with that. But when the materialism get in the way, gets in the way of our spirituality, when materialism and trust in riches and things hinder our trust in God and our activity in His mission, then we're rooting for the wrong, in, wrong side. We're rooting for the enemy. Everything that you see, everything that you and I touch, everything that we can hold in our hand, everything we can eat, smell, hear, will one day be gone. As a matter of fact, the only thing you're going to be able to take to heaven with you are those loved family members and friends that you bring to Christ. Nothing else is coming. And how sad that would be to enter the, the, the pearly gate of heaven with empty hands. We get so caught up in how people think of us because we need them to like us and we got to get all excited about the stuff that we forget that we need to bring them to Christ. Because one day all of this is going to be left behind. Either by death that's immediately, it's going to, when we go, we're not taking any of it with us. But one day, all the sparkle and splendor of this world is going to be brought down. And as we move into the latter chapters of Genesis, uh, Revelation, rather, I want you to be here because we're going to see some. Even when we look at it, it's going to be beyond our comprehension or imagination. Because God's got better coming. God's got better coming. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said this. He said, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of our creator as much when we learn of the emptiness of everything else. We get so distracted by the bangles and baubles of this world that we forget the amazing, phenomenal God that we serve. And God wants us to know him. And God has promised when we surrender our lives to him fully and completely, everything we need, he'll take care of. Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
Oh, you're not going to have the biggest house, the newest car, the nicest clothes. But you'll have enough. Remember that apple in the garden? Let's talk about that again. God said, don't eat of it. It may have been an apple. I don't know what kind of fruit it was. There's the old joke. It was a banana because it had a peel. Okay. <laughs> Got to do it every once in a while. But let's say for the sake of visuals, it was an apple, luscious and succulent. But in that fruit came all the curses, all the, all the sin, all the vileness, deception, greed, crime. And that apple might have looked pretty, but now it's pretty rotten now. It's rotten. And just a reminder of 2 Peter chapter 3, he goes on in verse 11 saying, Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? Peter said this 2,000 years ago to his congregations. Again, look around you. Everything in the sight of your vision is going to be dissolved. Listen, even the bodies that you see sitting next to you. Everything in your house, including your house. The trees in your yard. You see, when humanity fell, the entire earth fell into judgment. But as we move into the latter chapters of Revelation, now I'm going to tell you, it's been difficult to get through these chapters on judgment and tribulation. It's been hard to preach it, much less, I'm sure, hard to hear it. But starting next Sunday, we're going to see the other side of that coin. We're going to see God do amazing, miraculous, exciting things. Because I've read the end of the book. And God's people, through Christ, win. And win big. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? That's the question. Have you come to the place where you've trusted Him and only Him as your Savior? The Bible is very clear. All of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We were born sinners because of Adam and Eve. And because we're sinful by nature, anything, even good things that we try to do are sullied and stained by our touch. That's why no amount of religion, no amount of charitable works, no amount of churchianity, no amount of religious works and, 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 and living up to religious laws will save you. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. That's why God took on flesh. Jesus came and died on the cross. And in doing so, he took the blame for your sin and my sin. And the blame for the sin of all humanity from Adam and Eve till the very last. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. He's alive today. He's coming back as we're going to see next week. He's coming back. And all that you see around you is going to crumble. Do you know Christ? Trusting in a church, church isn't going to get you to heaven. Baptism isn't going to get you to heaven. Trusting in a religious body, no. But trusting in Jesus will. Would you trust him if you've never trusted him this morning? And if you do know Christ, if you've trusted him, you know him. We all get caught up and tangled up in material things, don't we? We get frustrated and flummoxed by debts, deadlines. We chase fashions and fads. 
We have to have the newest, the biggest, the brightest. And listen, I, I hate to tell you, I'm guilty too. And I find that when I do take my attention off of God, I am miserable. I am miserable. And I think when our church takes its attention off of God, we become miserable. West Concord, there is no limit to what we can do for Christ. Our budget doesn't limit us to what we can do for Christ. Our building doesn't limit us to what we can do for Christ. The size of our church doesn't limit us to what we can do for Christ because we serve a big, grand, and limitless God. And according to the book of Ephesians, the riches of heaven are at our disposal if we'll just trust. Jeremiah said, don't just make God, just don't hope in God, but make God your hope and everything else will be taken care of. So I think God is calling us to step away from materialism and to fall back on Christ no matter what. I'm urging you to join me in doing that today. It doesn't matter what you have. All that matters is who you are in Christ. And I'll tell you what, God will bring revival in your life and I believe he'll bring revival in this church. I struggle. Let's, let's struggle together toward God and away from stuff. Our Father, Lord God, we come before you humbly. I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice, whether they're in this building or watching online, I pray that they know Christ as Savior. And if they, not, if they cannot say confidently that if they were to die, they would go immediately to heaven, I pray that they would then get on their knees and abandon any hope that religion would save them that they could save themselves and cast their full faith in Christ as the one who paid for their sin, died on the cross for them and became the door of heaven. Help us to trust him. Help them to trust him and give them eternal life. But Lord, I pray for me and this congregation, especially as we enter into the budget time, we thank you for the hard work our finance committee does to pull our budget together. And Lord, while it may not give us enough in different areas that we think we ought to have, Lord, we have you and we have more than enough. So let's take what we get and make it big and bring you the glory. In our personal life, let's teach our children that who they are in Christ is more important than what they have in society. And Father, let's value men and women instead of money and wealth. Thank you, Lord. Help us today in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.